Hello, welcome to Monster Manual Mash. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. And today we have the last of the A's. Yeah, yeah the, the, after, after this, that does it for, for the, the A team. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> mm. We'll I guess, try again later. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh so this one is not anything I've ever used or have ever really thought about. It is the Azer, right? Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Um, Azir. 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 Yeah. Azir? That is more. Yeah. I think yeah. That probably is more in line with the 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 flavor of it, especially uh, its kind of uh, Middle Eastern uh, flavor, I guess, between for it and the plane of elemental fire yeah yeah um but they don't know anything about that because we haven't said anything about the plane of elemental fire yet so why don't we talk about what the azer is yes yes um uh so well what they, they yeah they're, they're natives of the elemental plane of fire and they are sworn foes of the afrit that's what it leads with yeah yeah <laughs> so that's right off the bat so you can't make that mistake so the uh it also kind of relies on you not going through this page by page like we are because if you did you wouldn't know who the afrit are although you're welcome to just flip through flip around and figure it out but this does rely on a overall knowledge an overall working knowledge uh, it assumes you've read everything and you know who the afrit are they're basically fire genies and we'll get to them later yes exactly um uh the azir they so uh uh what do we got here so what does it say on the page well they resemble they resemble dwarves but it's a facade. Um, it's a facade, yes, yeah. So beneath beneath their metallic skin, they're just they're beings of fire. I think it's kind of funny that they yeah. use the word facade like it's almost a value judgment. Like it's a lie. Yeah. Don't trust these goddamn Azer. It's a facade. They're not true dwarves. They're actually fire people underneath. I don't know why they look like humanoids. And I think it's kind of uh, a cop out that they look like dwarves because we get into them a bit more. They're just kind of, they're just dwarves yeah. again, but with, instead of uh, intestines and a nervous system, they just have fire. <laughs> it's just, it's just fire. Yeah. All the way down. All the way down. And they do dwarfy things too. Yeah. They, they there's a lot of overlap. Stuff. Yeah. They use hammers. For everything. Yeah. For uh, war and for day-to-day life. Uh, they even use it for sex like that's that's kind of a sensational statement they don't have sex but they they craft each other they replicate by building a new suit of uh brass right yeah yeah is it brass or bronze that they're made out of it's brass brass yeah so they they create Wait, actually <laughs> well they made the city of brass right um but they're made of bronze right but well there's 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 a brass and bronze are not as distinct as as they often are made out to be, so we can get into that later. Oh, yeah. Okay. What you know, they're not as distinct. Those two metals. Yeah. Yeah. They're more similar than you would think they would be because they they have two different names, but historically, it's it's mostly a historical difference. But they're, the the differences between uh, different kinds of brass and different kinds of bronze are more significant than the differences between brass and bronze. Oh man, when yeah. should we get into that? Well, we could do it now. We haven't really, we haven't really done any like. Okay, there are okay, more yeah. about on the page. Let's finish. Yeah. Let's finish what these things are. So uh, they're made of bronze, 
They're made of bronze, and inside is just fire, and the fire spills out. You can see the picture. The fire spills out of their face. They're on the edges of their face, so they have a big mane of fiery hair and beard, and he's got uh, a lot of teeth. He's kind of grimacing. Yeah. But he looks otherwise like a like a rippling muscular dwarf uh, with skin of, of bronze and they make each other so they you build a suit of bronze mm-hmm. and you give it a piece of your own fire that you have inside and then the fire catches on whatever is inside the new guy and then he's a new Azer, Azir. Uh and that is given as the explanation for their low population numbers because it takes a lot of time and energy to make one. And that's fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and they, but that's it. It like it, it makes sense that that's the way that they would replenish their population mm-hmm. um, because they're, 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 they're craftsmen. And they're, since they're from the elemental plane of fire, kind of what they represent is fire's ability to create things. It's not the destructive nature of fire it's the creative it's the of fire, fire of the forge that yeah. lets you transmutate things into other things and uh carry on in in the azir's case the spark of what they are in a crafted suit of armor so the life continues on into the next creation mm-hmm. it's also i think a fitting uh biological function if you want to call it that for a creature from an elemental plane of any element because uh, the planes dedicated to the elements themselves are very singular places. There's not a lot of uh, uh, mixing. I want to say there's not a lot of chaos because in the material plane, we have all of the elements swirling around, bumping into each other, creating the ecosystems that we have. But the planes separate each individual element and keep them kind of separate and pure. So I don't imagine there'd be a lot of <clears throat> biological uh, mutations happening by azir's uh bumping uglies in the in the realm of of fire right so it's just like it's pure fire it just replicates itself it doesn't like come up with new variations on itself like you get in more uh meaty creatures like like you and i and uh yeah but it does it raises for me a bunch of questions like uh i guess you can just kind of uh infer some things from this is that they're they might be kind of passionless because they don't have sex they don't uh i I don't know if they all look like men with amazing pecs and abs it does it says so yeah (laughs) um in appearance and manner and azir resembles a male dwarf oh it does yeah Yeah. okay yeah yeah so they're all men and they don't care about sex and they only build things but they're not like this isn't a bad thing like i think in real life if you came across a whole colony of uh, sexless men who only who directed their energy completely to the the building of yeah. things or crafting of items. I think there would be some neurosis, some neuroses happening under the hood. Yeah, uh, it would like, be a whole society of Doctor Frankenstein, right? <laughs> or at least like perverted monks or something, right? Like it's never getting a group of men together and depriving them of sex one way or another has never really been good for them. Although monks have uh, given us a lot of good things historically i'm sure they were like not completely great places to live for a lot of them but i'm because the azer are so pure and without uh, we can assume they are without these these problems uh they're not human they're not even dwarves they just kind of look like people they're actually just made of fire so they can do whatever they want they're passionless creative well that's kind of funny though too because uh passion is often associated with creation creators like the the myth of the like the wild artist or whatever right yeah like uh, leaves a path of broken hearts 
and is too wild to tame and just needs to create their art. And if you try to hem them in, then they go crazy or become self-destructive. These guys don't care. They just kind of plug away at it, as far as I can tell. Where do they live? Yeah, they live in uh, volcanoes. Between, specifically, the plains of fire and earth in a place called the Fountains of Creation. Yeah. Which is a bunch of uh, volcanoes and uh, muddy magma spewing earth mounds. So there's, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a a map that shows all the planes kind of sitting next to each other. And they've made all these, I think we've talked about this before, they made subplanes where... One element touches another, so it creates this kind of demi-plane or like border world where the two things are kind of happening at the same time. So the fountains of creation are mountainous and earthy mm-hmm. and also fire, fire-ish. Yeah, and uh, it's also <laughs> known as the plane of magma. Oh, yeah. It yeah. says on that side. It's a weird one because it seems to be, it, it goes yeah. along. It's kind of a bad map. Like it's yeah. kind of... Uh, I mean, these places, you can't actually map them, really. But yeah. uh, it's a, it's just a general sense of where things are. The plains of... Uh, the, the fountain of creation doesn't look like it's actually on the border between the two plains. But, you know, whatever. Well, real maps of the Earth yeah. for up till, like, almost, like, very recently have never been right either. So we can kind of hand wave the uh Yeah, and, like, all of these planes are, are, like, infinite, and the borders are not, yeah. like, really we won't, along yeah. one side. It's Let's like, not, yeah. like, nerd nitpick the... Uh, yeah, the map is a metaphor, really, more <laughs> yeah. than anything else. Um, yeah. So that's where they live. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, they, yeah, they, they, they live amid rivers of magma. Um, squads, squads of Azir um, patrol the passes and tunnels of the realm. So I just like that... Now we know that the collective noun for Azir is a squad, a squad <laughs> of Azir. Any group, yeah, the yeah. plural, the plural pronoun. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're enemies of the Afrit. Yep. We touched the on Afrit that a little earlier. And salamanders, and which salamanders, we'll get to at some yeah. point in the podcast. But they're basically uh, like kind of barbaric fire lizards. Um, but they defend their homes, which contain really cool and rare gems that they love. All of these kind of crafty people, they just can't get out of gems. That's why they're everywhere in this game. So they just like rare gems and they accumulate them and they craft things with them and other people want them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of their 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 value as a target. There are a few of them, so they do not represent a great force. But each one is, they're not like uh, very challenging according to the challenge rating. They're only challenge rating two, but they're, it's kind of implied that they can, like they don't have like a craft stat or like a, uh, how, how cunning they are stat or like things they'll do. It only has like what they'll hit you with and what happens when you try to hit them and what they're immune to. It doesn't yeah. say anything about like what their, their places look like or kinds of, methods of uh defending themselves that they use because i'm sure they they don't just although maybe they do because they just have squads so they just form squads and they just like fight you i guess but i feel like because they're such master craftsmen they would like make traps or they'd make really elaborate uh and like embattlements uh Mm -hmm. castle defenses fortress defenses that make it really difficult to get at them is what i would imagine none of this is in the book but yeah, but I think it is pretty heavily implied because they are the ones that um, kind of built the city of Brass, where right. the Freet live, which is the capital city, basically, of the Elemental Plane of Fire. It's right. where the Sultan of the Elemental Plane of Fire the lives. The Pasha. Yeah. The Pasha. 
Uh, it's also, I think, the biggest uh, city in the elemental planes. Yeah. It's the most friendly. Somehow, the elemental plane of fire seems to be one of the most hospitable to out, outside people from the material plane. Because if you read the actual uh, elemental plane of fire entry in the DM's guide, it says that creatures from other realms have to cover their faces to avoid getting stinged by cinders which means that you can just walk around the plane of fire and it's really hot there's a sun 24 hours a day there's a which i find interesting there's, an, there's yeah. they have a whole sun their own sun yeah um but you can go there and in fact they welcome you because they climate control uh the city of brass or rather they just uh use magic to prevent like crazy storm yeah. crazy fire storms from getting into the city so they actually have like weather control to allow people to come in and trade um they mostly deal in it, it recommends that if you want to have magic items be uh, purchasable in your campaign then the most likely place to do that is in the city of brass because it's supposed to be like um like a jewel of arabia kind of city it's like a, a metropolis um in the desert yeah, it's also it's it's a metropolis um uh, that is that is uh like controlled by uh fire genies. Yeah. Right? And so they it 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 does make note that they trade mostly in favors rather than in with like material wealth. Yeah, cuz I imagine they're yeah. they're probably pretty flush with yeah. material wealth. So that's wealth. that's kind of their 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 motive for like getting getting <laughs> mortals from the to the prime material plane in, in there to like deal with them. It's like, "Okay, cool. We can like we can make these guys into our agents and make them yeah. do things we want because they want our our stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're so, yeah, the Afrid are kind of like merchant kings who all rule. And yeah. I, I believe the Pasha is like um, a sort of a sort of mer- like uh, the head merchant king. I think it is like one of the most yeah. powerful. But it's all it's all mercantilism. It's all yeah. uh, trades and goods and stuff. Yeah. But the reason I think that it sort of implies that the Azir or Azir or whatever um would build like sweet hard to assail like battlement laden trappy mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh kind of places is because because they built the city of brass but they also are the only ones that know the secret entrances right so so the afrit believe so they um they they uh like if they if, and i think it's it's supposed to be really difficult just to like get into the city of brass unless they want you in there yeah you know so, but there's secret ways to get in that you're not supposed to know so they know they built the secret ways to get in so they know how to build weird machines or like things that don't secret doors yeah. yeah secret entrances uh, all those kinds of things all those things that dwarves do except it's fire-based they are masters of metal and gems so they're really good at gems they send uh, parties across the plains to get squads. They send squads yeah. to get rare metals and gems across the plains. So that means that they come to the material plane possibly or yeah. to other, mm. which I find interesting because they seem to be such uh, um, insular that they would go out of their way to actually send um, like missions, little away missions to get things from the outside world, even though they themselves, like they probably hate it, but they probably like getting rare metals even more. Yeah. They can be summoned to the material plane to forge or craft things. So that can be a way to introduce an Azer into your game if you don't want to send people to the elemental plane of fire because that seems like a big thing to do. You can just have one uh, summoned by someone else and then they can be the responsible for crafting something uh, beyond the capabilities of whoever else you have in the campaign so far. So you have this uh, kind of special thing. Like if you get bored of 
dwarves or if you want like there to be a even more masterfully crafted thing than a dwarf could do having azer show up and do it yeah or like there there you just like want uh somewhere in the world to be there to be a blacksmith who's just like a ridiculously good blacksmith like an un- unnaturally good blacksmith who can make like uh, unnaturally powerful armor and weapons and whatever it would make sense that that being would be an azure right this is this this like guy who looks like a dwarf but he's on fire his face is on fire all the time, yeah. right? So he gets to light his own forge, you know, and it's 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 this whole. Event. And he doesn't have to eat or yeah. sleep. He can just hammer or drink away. anything. He and, doesn't yeah. care about sex. Probably he doesn't care about anything that distracts any of us. He probably doesn't have uh, pets. Yeah, he probably doesn't have uh, a phone. After a while, when he does when he does get lonely, then he just starts uh, forging. He just puts himself into something. Yeah, and then he's got a little buddy. But then, yeah. it's, but then imagine how boring that would be because it would just be you over and over again. That's true. Yeah, and they like what I does it say where they originally came from? No, no. it doesn't say. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say what their personalities are like. So if yeah. they have the exact same personality or not. Well, judging by this guy's expression here, they look like they mean business um, and aren't very jovial. Well, of course not. Yeah. They have no passion. Yeah. But they they care enough to protect, like, gems and stuff. So they do have uh, emotions, unless it's, like, a very uh, matter-of-fact kind of, uh, like, involuntary response to defend yeah. <laughs> gems. Yeah, totally. Like, they might be more mineral than... than person it's a, well it's it's sort of it's sort of like with the the aarakocra how they would have like the the, the yeah. blue and orange morality right because right 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 player playing of air versions of good and bad so then we have like border between fire and earth versions that's of good and bad. yes that's actually a very good point because they i think each plane and i don't i can't think of the others except the aarakocra and now the yeah. azer who are sort of like this is your typical person who you might run into and not instantly want to fight or have a conflict with from an elemental plane. Yeah. So the Aarakocra, you don't have, like, there's nothing about them that makes you uh, instantly come into conflict with them. And same with the Azer. So these are just, like, the main people, the most relatable people hanging out in the elemental plane of fire. Yeah. And, like, I would imagine that um, the scale of, like, goodness to badness for an Azer would be, like, things that are more... Like, like uh, you know, uh, very rare, like, gemstones and, and metals and things like that that aren't, don't just, like, burn right away, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, like more naturally combustible things would be. Uh, they live around volcanoes, and so they can't live in the moats of lava. They live um, around that and on the rocks that the lava comes out of. So there's, like, a, an ability to withstand extreme heat that they value, and they're beings of, like, only extreme heat that, like, live inside of bodies that can withstand extreme heat. So it's, like, it's being tested against being being burnt and destroyed. Right. So maybe maybe they have, like, uh, maybe they do have a well of emotion and passion, but they have to keep it in check. Otherwise, it will... Uh, destroy the container that they have. Yeah, yeah, and they're just they're just not enthusiastic about the things that we're enthusiastic about, and like stuff that matters to uh, you know prime primes. The way that I think that's what I've, I've seen <laughs> pe- beings from the prime material plane, and in at least Baldur's Gate games, uh, which take place in the in the Forgotten Realms universe. Uh, they if, call you primes. They, you get called a prime sometimes. Is that uh, is that a like a, a nasty thing to call someone? Not necessarily. Or is it just a thing? I think that's just like yeah, just like hey, you're from like a a different place, right? Yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. just a 
It's just the it's word. Just a term. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It, it might have negative connotations. It's not I like would... a slur or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So like, y- like you you would respond to something differently than an Azure would, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's more or less passion there. It's just in a different place. It, yeah, it happens for different reasons. It could be interesting to make them like purposefully stoic and disciplined. Because if they don't, then great damage is done. Maybe like the fire spills out. Yeah. And like, yeah. Sorry. Is, is a is a force of chaos because they are lawful creatures. Yeah. So maybe they are on the brink of chaos, destructive wildfire at any moment, but they're o- only their own self-imposed discipline keeps it in check. Yeah. Which is kind of like funny that they are like just weird alternative fire dwarves. Um. Uh, uh. Which, like, in 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 this in this like in this universe that in the universe that is implied by the monster manual, at least that's just like a weird cosmic coincidence. Like they just happen to look like dwarves, but they're totally different. Totally you know? trust us. Um. But it's funny that the dwarfy looking things. If we go down this path of like they they have they have to they have to keep the fire inside of them. They have to restrain things. Is that is weirdly similar to the Eldar from Warhammer 40k. Um, who feel emotions stronger than humans do, but um, that uh, they accidentally summoned, uh, they, they partied a, a demon into existence because of that. And so the surviving Eldar who aren't evil by their own standards have to like maintain extreme discipline despite the fact that they feel stronger emotions than humans. They display fewer because that's the only way that they have anything like, around right that's like by they're there that's the way they survive is by is by like controlling that stuff that's inside of them right otherwise they'll they'll party to they'll summon a party demon yeah that's what happened sorry i i uh so what happened <laughs> real quick aside briefly Do go aside, on yes yeah so so um in warhammer 40k lore um there was a golden age of the eldar which are basically space elves El- the word eldar comes from tolkien that was like the elves word for elves but then the warhammer people were like let's just call our space elves that which is fine um and then you know like millions of years before everything else happened um they had a utopia basically and uh the utopia they just had it they had everything they could have possibly wanted and because of that they 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 just had like wild weird like part their whole like race of of space elves um like essentially just had like giant off the wall like space orgies as as a species and because demons come from strong emotions in that universe like the more you think about something the more real it becomes in a warp in reality the eldar they is they what they did was they they partied so hard that they created a god that represented the feeling of like succumbing to like a uh, desire and excess that would seduce people into worshiping it by just the, the promising them more stimulus um and so um they they created this god um by partying super hard uh that was like ah now i then once it existed it would eat all of their souls after they die so some of the eldar we're like, all right, well, we can, we can, we can steal, we can not die and extend our lives by torturing people somehow with like this weird magic slash technology that we, we figured out. Those are the dark Eldar, like the evil elves. And the good ones are like, no, we'll put our souls into these crystals in the middle of our ships that we fly around in and just store them there until we kill the, 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 the evil demon at the end of it. But, um, they still are like, uh, psychic superpowered space elves. Um, and, uh, one of their characteristics is they feel passion stronger than humans do comparatively. Um, but if they started to like, let that get the best of them, then they immediately get possessed by Slanesh, which is the, the evil God of partying. 
Um, and so they have to not do that. So similarly, Azir's, um, they might uh, metaphorically or literally burn a bunch of stuff down if they didn't keep their energies focused on crafting and, and internal things. It's like the, um, the Vulcans from Star Trek go into heat yeah once in a while and they have to like let that happen as an outlet for their immense passion that is kept under wraps all the time yeah so that's um, how you can make azures interesting is you can, you can have them <laughs> you can have them dealing with the fact that they're they are beings of fire so they behave as fire does they they they, they want to spread they want to consume things but they don't really want to consume things they want to build things right so they have to control that weren't the it's all kind of coming back to me now. Uh, Dark Eldar were like BDSM elves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All they do is uh, they're, they're pirates that abduct people and then torture them. And then they have this weird like psychic magic technology stuff that through torturing other things, they can make themselves not get possessed by Slanesh. Sweet. So Slanesh accidentally made them more evil than anything else, which is Good fine. job. Yeah. That's a totally different tabletop game, though, uh, and on universe th- that uh, then... that we will get to after episode four hundred. <laughs> after episode four hundred, when we run out of Dungeons and Dragons monsters, we will go over their slightly different but still almost the same variations in Warhammer. But for now, I think that I think we've run down most everything that's on the page for the Azer. Mm-hmm. You had something about brass and bronze. Yes. So. The the city of Brass is the the place in the elemental plane of fire where the Afridi live, um, and the Azir, as it mentions, are made of bronze. Um, and I never really thought a whole lot about these two different metals. I knew that there were bronze metals that you get in the Olympics, and there was a bronze age <laughs> in history. I know the instruments are made of brass. Um, uh, are they uh, still, or is that just a yeah? Brass instruments are still made of brass. Okay, but the thing is, um, so uh, uh, both of these metals bronze and brass are um they're uh, alloys so they're mixtures of other things mm-hmm. they're they're mostly copper and also zinc um but bronze is a mixture of copper and tin and that's the main difference between them but there are a bunch of other different kinds of bronze that have like maybe more like arsenic or lead or aluminum or like silicon in them and mm-hmm. there are different kinds of brass that have more of those other things in them to the point when the other things in them are take up more of it than the uh, zinc or the tin that differentiate these two metals. So when you're doing archaeology and you're looking at ancient artifacts, um, it's really arbitrary to say like, is this brass or is this bronze? Um, because historically, the like that's that's it's it's it really only makes sense to call them copper alloys because they essentially work the same. Um, uh, so there are a lot of things that are called brass and a lot of things that are called bronze, but that both of those are just you melt copper down with some other stuff and mix it together, and uh, the uh, the the using of one over another ends up um, being more like circumstantial than anything else. Right. So uh, it seems like it's not a matter of quantity or the ratio. It's just like if you have copper and zinc, it is yeah uh, brass. You can call it brass and be right if it's an alloy of copper and zinc. But e- even if it is like it has more in common with uh, bronze. Yeah. Because of the other things in it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this weird sort of thing because a lot of these terms were um, decided upon before 
there is a very accurate understanding of chemistry. Yeah, of course. Right? Um, so a, a lot of it was like, like people didn't realize that um, when you heated zinc up, uh, it turned into like gas and that gas <laughs> um, went good, like kind of uh, bubbled through the, the molten copper and that's how, that's that made a chemical reaction happen. That it was an accident that zinc happened or like uh, uh, steel is, is um, uh, iron and uh, carbon. Um, but the carbon got in there just because you were like melting the steel with a little bit of like charcoals around there. And mm-hmm. then just that little bit of charcoal was enough to like turn it into steel instead. But that was an accident. And then and, and, uh, like mostly um, people thought it was other things that were doing that. Like, it oh, was I other, see. It was I ritualistic. See. And so it was it was an alchemical thing. Right. People, there were these rituals and you, you complete this ritual. It worked because you didn't eat for a day before you, you did it, not yeah. because of the, yeah, totally. the charcoal. Or it worked because you, 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 you cooked something on it right before cooking the metal on it and then there's like no we we had to roast those vegetables <laughs> on the smithing thing first but it, was, it turned out to be something totally different um so the reasons for the distinction between brass and copper that language comes from an alchemical understanding of these metals not a modern chemical understanding of those metals so they're they're mostly the same thing but we still use them with the different words because there's a kind of copper alloy that you make a bunch of things with and there's a different kind of copper alloy that uses the other different bunch of things with um so there's kind of like a spectrum of copper alloys between bronze and uh and and, and brass however it does specifically differentiate between them in here um but i wanted to talk a bit about copper alloys because they have some neat properties that I think you could <laughs> lay it you on use me. them to understand azures. So, um, cop the, it, cop yeah. it, cop it up. So, um, the, those are they're as far as metals go, they're pretty malleable, mm. so they're easy to work with. Right. That's why you make instruments out of them, right? Because mm-hmm. they actually are uh, bendy and uh, like workable at a much lower temperature than like other other metals are. So if you need to like, oh, I'm going to make something into a trumpet or a doorknob or whatever, that's the metal you would use right. to do it, right? Um, so if you had something that was on fire all the time and it was covered in like, let's, let's, say, let's say bronze, because it says they're made of bronze, the bronze probably would be bendy enough for them to move around in, even though it was still solid. So they right, would, okay. yeah, yeah. So it, it like, a, like it's like, it doesn't have to be like strictly magical that they, they can, they, they, the, their metal bodies move around as if it was flesh. It kind of actually doesn't make sense. And also specifically, if you look at their stat block, you get real hurt if you touch them. Right. Cause they're made of burning hot metal. Right. So they're already, uh, super hot. So they're, they're, bodies would be malleable even though they're made out of solid metal there's no like there's no mechanics there's no mechanized parts it's all like almost solid metal yeah and also um if you uh need to use if you need to build a machine that is kind of finicky um in some ways like it you have to make sure that it's not going to spark like cause a spark when you don't want it to cause a spark Mm -hmm. or you you need it to like conduct electricity in a certain way um, there's a lot of like technical applications for copper alloys if you're building stuff. Um, so it's like a super important building material. So the the these like inter extra dimensional builder people for them to be made of something that as a substance is so widely applicable to so many different uses would sort of make sense that they would make their bodies out of something that is useful for a million different things. My first thought is that you should make a, a game where you have to like poach the azer for their like muscly skin yeah <laughs> for something it's kind of like uh, when people strip 
copper out of old warehouses and yeah. stuff for money you have to like go and like take azer skins <laughs> yeah this is a scrap scrap beat but leave spent, their naked fire spent azer yeah exoskeletons yeah do you think uh azers care about the bronze and brass purity mm, well, do you think they'd have like race wars or like arguments where it's like shut up you're made of brass <laughs> they it's could, like no yeah. no check it out this is i've got 14 percent zinc <laughs> yeah. read it and weep they're like yeah 14 not that much yeah yeah get out here tin boy yeah Bronzy mctin tin skin um uh i don't know that would depend if that their uh the language of ignan has, ignan yeah has that distinction in it that's the other thing is they they speak fire talk fire talk yeah um I imagine that they would because these elemental planes of these elemental planes in general uh, have a lot to do with the purity of elements. So right. anytime you mention purity, there's probably race wars happening. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, you could even go more uh, any malleable metal. You could have azers be made of any kind of metal that would move easily when it's really hot. Mm-hmm. And or different. You could have other ones where they they might have to have joints. You could make them different. You could you could mm-hmm. make them have like weird. Like action figure joints, you know. I like I like the idea of them not having it because yeah. when they have joints, it implies uh, like it, it's it's construction. It's using things that are there to make something new. And what I like about the, the elements is that it's so everything is so of itself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take anything. Uh, there's no component parts. It's all kind of like one primal source. Yeah. In this case, fire. Yeah, and it's 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 like it's the fact that they are fire. That's yeah. what they are that like makes them able to be animate, right? That's what kind of gives them life, right? Exactly. Yeah. Instead of instead of like being a, a fuel system powering something that then powers like uh, magic servos that then move an arm, it's just like instead of that, it's just like a flame that's simply just living, and the the its body simply contains it. There's no like cause and effect of different uh, materials affecting each other there's no there's no like chain of physics happening it's just kind of like fire is happening and it has a suit yeah <laughs> it's also like it doesn't uh like it doesn't really delve into this this much but like are they able to exist at all outside of their brass yeah well it goes suit? they say they go to the material plane okay uh to to get if there are other planes right but probably you're going to f- most likely encounter them on the material plane because that's where most people play. Um, but you could have them. You could have them have difficulty with that. Certainly, if the uh, the temperature affects their ability to move, then they would either create some sort of like really hot uh, like astronaut suit, or they would simply just be slower and like complain about the material plane a lot. Or they would have they would get people to like carry massive amounts of of pitch. And just like keep fires lit around them at all times, and just be like big babies about having fire all the time. Uh, that'll that's to me that's like probably good for like a couple gags, but I don't know if I want to like get like the, if the joke is that they like fire a lot. Like I don't know how long you can do that. Yeah, that, that would that would that would get old pretty fast. Um, uh, that's yeah. That's a lot about what they are. I've got some stuff about where they might, where where wizards of the coast might have gotten the idea for them. Um, first of all, we know that they're already kind of dwarf-like, yeah. and I won't talk much about dwarves because they're going to be. We're going to talk about dwarves later, either when we get around to. They're not in the 
monster manual, but we'll talk about dwarves at some point. There's a lot of like dwarf like creatures later on, but because they take the they borrow so much from the trope, they come from the Norse myth of dwarves. What well, I said that really weird. In Norse myth, there are dwarves. That's where we get them from. That's where Tolkien got the idea and. Um, made it his own and that's where the rest of the world now gets their their dwarf uh ideas from is tolkien but it was a norse myth and it was about master blacksmiths who lived underground and that's um mostly all i'll say about doors right now but uh, i bring that up because we seem unable to get away from it in in the D D world anything that is good at crafting or has anything to do with like building stuff is like a dwarf so even if you're totally not a dwarf you look like one because we can't separate the idea of being good at metalworking and looking like a dwarf you could even maybe do something about like why do they look like that were the first dwarves actually azer are they descended from azer or do they say they are even if they're not or like is there some sort of connection what would the connection be you might be able to get some some mileage out of that or other way around like the azer take their form they like needed some sort of material form and they chose to look like dwarves because they were also so good at um, building stuff in the material plane that they were like, well, let's be like them. Uh, it seems unlikely because the material plane, uh, because of the combination of the elemental planes, um, all the elemental planes would probably have existed first. I don't know. It gets kind of complicated, but like you can, there's a lot to play around with there. Um, secondly, their name and overall concept, the Azer or Zir, there is a real world country called Azerbaijan. The primary language there, I don't know if you can hear my dog groaning and moaning in the background. Uh, Azerbaijani, I think it's called Azerbaijani. And it means, uh, it could mean a few things depending on how you translate it from what I could gather. It could mean the land of fire or the protector of fire, something about fire. And uh, the, there's a, I've, I read a great big rundown on the ent- the etymology and it boils down to that fire and place or protector um it is kind of smack uh it's right north of iran and south of russia and bordered on the caspian sea and on the other side are georgia and somewhere else for thoroughness i will i will i have it ready here armenia yeah armenia russia georgia and iran you can see it here. This is it. Little little place. It used to be um, part of the greater uh, Turkish Empire. And now it's this, this country over here. And it has connections with Zoroastrianism, which is one of the world's oldest religions. It has uh, major features like Messianism, which is religions that have Messiah figures. It includes the idea of judgment after death, heaven and hell, lots of uh, dichotomy and... Um, the idea of free will, and many believe it has influenced the, the major religions we have in abundance today, um, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. The Zoroastrian theology includes, it's, a very, it's, like, it's such a rich uh, and documented religion that I don't know much about beyond what I was able to like, look up yeah, for this. I, I've always kind of known about it, but not a ton. It's, it's the oldest documented monotheistic religion is that right. correct yeah um as yes. far as i know yeah it is monotheistic it has like a greater idea of the cosmology i think mm-hmm. it's, it has like some differences but it is like the one of the the first major major monotheisms um 
But one of the interesting things about it that you don't really find elsewhere is that um, the theology includes a duty to protect nature. And this has made some people say that it's the world's first ecological religion. But people argue that because the protections might just be kind of uh, lip service or part of a ritual because they st- they they come from uh, theological beliefs and not um, ecological uh, mandates or or uh, like it's it's because your God says to do these things that you do it. It's not because right. of the the value of the ecology in itself. Yeah. And the the precepts the the strongest precepts um, the str- the scriptures call for are the protection of water, earth, fire, and air. And that's why people think it's an ecological uh, religion because they you have to protect these four things. Um, but that like so you can call it an ecological religion. But some people say it, that doesn't mean that they go out and protect ecologies. It just means that they believe they have a, a theological belief in the in the sanctity and purity of these four elements. Whether or not you protect them in the if you stop people from bulldozing uh, mountains or, or using dynamite to blow up mountains or whatever. Right. Not necessarily. It just means that you care about the purity of these like individual elements, which seems like a lot to ask of a of a person. I know we dynamited <laughs> that mountain, but like we had to protect the fire. <laughs> well, here's the yeah. Dynamite. This is so. this is kind of a thing. Um, so they have these temples. A Zoroastrian temple are called they're called fire temples. Um, so they believe they hold to the idea of four elements: earth, water, wind, and fire, and uh, fire temples are places where clean water and fire are kept for ritualistic cleansing purposes. And they have on hand, they have clean white ash for the purification ceremonies. And they, and they are regarded as the basis of ritual life. So they do a lot of things with the ash from fire. Clean, clean white ash. So it's like, like again, purity stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and these are essentially the rites proper to the tending of a domestic fire for the temple fire is that of the hearth fire. And... Um, for one who sacrifices onto fire with fuel in his hand is given happiness. So it's a very ritualistic idea. It's not about an ecological purpose to fire or or water. It's about these ideas of cleansing, which is having to do with the kind of uh, uh, dualistic nature of the cosmology of Zoroastrianism and many other monotheisms, where you have good and evil, Bad and uh, bad and good. I guess that's good and evil. Uh, <laughs> and you have like dirty and clean, or corrupted and clean. Um, hold on one second. My dog needs help. <laughs> Poor Molly can't stand up on her own. She needs you to scoop her butt. Anyways, <laughs> I need to go cleanse myself. Um, yeah, so these, these fire temples, sometimes not only were they just places where they kept fire, they were built on places of naturally occurring fires. Okay. So where do I have, where do I have this bit? There's one in particular, or there are two in particular I'll talk about. One is called, uh, Yanar Dag, meaning the burning mountain. It is a natural gas fire which blazes continuously on a hillside in the Absheron Peninsula um, on the Caspian Sea near Baku. So the Baku is the capital, and it's almost right on the, the coast. So this is like right on the coast, which is fitting because um, in these fire temples, fire and water are always together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's interesting that these jets of, of fire spewing out of the rocks 
like almost right next to the sea. Um, I don't know if you can actually see the, the, this, the Caspian Sea from this location, but like when you look at it on a map, it's like they're almost right next to each other. And it, it makes sense kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I just came across that, right? You'd worship the shit out of that. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. <laughs> if it were, yeah, if it were yeah. like um, three, I don't know, two to 3,000 yeah. years ago, with, sure. With the knowledge base that I would have if I were a person living like yeah. thousands of years ago. And you'd, I came think, across, you'd think something about it. Yeah. Right? I'd probably hang out It'd be important. near that and decide that it was important now. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting. Uh, th- so they've mostly, I think they've left it, it's undeveloped. Um, I've seen the pictures I saw of it. There were no buildings around. There was just dirt roads around it. Um, it is next to a road, I think, but they kind of have left it by itself. Um, it's in an, a region where there are a lot of mud volcanoes. So mud constantly spewing out of the right. earth, not unlike our fountains of creation in yeah. the elemental plane of fire. Um, the, the flames burn fairly steadily because there's a steady seep of gas from the subsurface. Um, it was only noted when accidentally lit by a shepherd in the 1950s. <laughs> so maybe that's why they haven't uh, developed much over it, because they found it recently. Right. Um, and there was no seepage of mud or liquid, which dis- uh, distinguishes it from nearby mud volcanoes. So there's no, like, uh, all around it are mud volcanoes, mud spewing out of yeah. the earth. This just has the flames and the gas coming out. Um, it's never extinguished. The atmosphere, it smells like gas around it. The flames emanate from vents in sandstone formations and rise to a height of 10 meters, 33 feet. Um, that's that's what was recorded. It's it's up and down. But yeah. like imagine 33 foot flames yeah. coming out of the rock. Just popping out of the ground. Um, yeah. Uh, 10, yeah, 10 meters, 33 feet. Um, what else? Along a 200 meter long tectonic scrap. Okay. Scarp. So are they are the flames coming out in like relatively uniform locations or do they Yeah, I think I okay. think it kind of changes depending on what's going on below, yeah. but it's like it's kind of like predictable okay. and steady. Like there's always at least some flame there. Um steady gas emissions from underlying soils and um no mud or anything. Even the surface of streams near Yanardag fire can be ignited with a match streams so the surface of water can be lit on fire nearby because the gas is so strong they otherwise appear calm they're called yanar balak or the burning springs there are several such uh springs in the vicinity Um, people take curative baths there because they are um, i think considered very special yeah um don't bring a match there was a guy alexander dumas who I don't I don't know who he is. I was negligent looking him up, but during one of his visits to the area, just take his word for it, whoever he is. Uh, That's the kind of research we do here on the show. Yeah. He described a similar fire he saw in the region inside one of the Zoroastrian fire temples built around it. Only a handful of fire mountains exist today in the world, and most are located in Azerbaijan. And due to the large concentration of natural gas under the Absharan Peninsula, natural flames burned there throughout antiquity and were reported on by historical writers such as Marco Polo. I think I meant to cut out the Alexander Dumas part, but (laughs) he didn't seem to factor into any of that. But uh, so they've been around for a while in Azerbaijan. Yeah. So Azer is definitely, I think, what Wizards of the Coast or whoever came up. I don't even know who came up with the original Azer. I know it's been around since the, I think, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't know who made it. Yeah. Um, The other interesting place is the fire temple of baku so baku is the capital city um based on persian and indian inscriptions the temple was used as a hindu sikh and zoroastrian place of worship uh it's a a pentagonal complex has a courtyard surrounded by cells for monks 
and was built around the 17th and 18th centuries. It was abandoned in the 19th century because of the dwindling of the Indian population in the area. The natural eternal flame went out in 1969 after nearly a century of exploitation of petroleum and gas in the area, but is now lit by gas piped from the nearby city. Isn't that sad? (laughs) (laughs) That's so sad. It's I mean, I guess by extension, that is gas from the earth. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a... It's it's like a... It's not really... It's almost like it's sad, but it's not like um, tragic. It's just kind of like having to fess up and acknowledge the realities of the world. (laughs) I mean, it is sad that they um, extracted... Like they almost... They extracted so much petroleum out of the ground that they disabled religion yeah <laughs> they like destroyed the religion because yeah. they got rid of the eternal flame and now there's like oh i guess uh, i guess our way of life is based on yeah. something we didn't really yeah. think through at the time hey as a brief aside you, you want to hear something cool about fossil fuels basically all of those things um come from living creatures almost all of them are plants i like like coal is from old forests actually and uh uh, oil is from uh uh, cyanobacteria and plankton and 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 algae from you know millions and millions and millions of years ago not dinosaurs not dinosaurs actually (laughs) yeah fossil in a different sense but um the energy stored in the chemical bonds in fossil fuels was gained um like by and large through photosynthesis Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, 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 the energy put into the system, because Earth is not a closed system, the energy put into the system is, is sun. That is, it was sunlight, basically. It was, it was, it was, uh, uh, infrared energy and, and ultraviolet, you know, basically just, just, uh, just, uh, just heat mm-hmm. energy from the sun that was absorbed by the plants, turned into chemical energy, well, potential chemical energy stored within chemical bonds. And then that energy stayed there. Um, well after the plants died and then got buried and then all these other things went so that when you burn fossil fuels essentially in a chemically what you're doing is you're releasing um you know like a one or two billion year old sunlight that was trapped you're harnessing the power of the sun yeah by extension this it's that's very very old sunlight that you're releasing when you're burning fossil fuels that's so cool and so sad at the same time <laughs> yeah and so the, the 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 idea that um there were um patches of natural gas uh, underground that were burning naturally for a very long time. That's That, that was a piece of the sun that has weathered um, innumerable physical processes to, to be sitting there on Earth, and you can get close to it. So that's there's I, I think there is something genuinely beautiful about uh, seeing that as, as, as an example. Of right, a, a good wor- uh, good reason to divinity. worship fire. Yeah, totally. Or to think about fire, religiously at least. Maybe not worshiping it. There's, uh, there's, there are more connections between Zoroastrianism and the Azer. You can find ideas that have a lot to do with the elemental plane of fire in some of the things that happen in a Zoroastrian uh, temple. I had a little blurb on what exactly you do. Kind of something, a common thing that is done when you go to pay res- uh, respects or or to engage with your temple when you are a Zoroastrian. So when an adherent enters the antechamber before a fire sanctum, he or she will offer bone-dry sandalwood or sweet-smelling wood to the fire. This is in accordance with doctrinal statutes expressed in one of their holy books, which in addition to 
enumerating which fuels are appropriate also reiterates the injunctions of uh, some other uh, rules they have that describe which fuels are not allowed, in particular any knot of wood. So these are all sanctions. These are all rules concerning the purity of what you're going to do. So I keep talking about purity, elemental plane of fire, elements, individual things, untouched by other things. Zoroastrianism was big on this as, as a real world religion. So you, the only thing you could feed the fire were certain fuels that were, uh, they were, they were known which ones and you had to abide by those rules. Otherwise, you're missing the point of your religion. In present-day Zoroastrian tradition, the offering is never made directly, but placed in the care of the celebrant priest who wears a cloth mask over his nostrils and mouth to prevent pollution from the breath. So you're keeping the air away oh, from. So you see a lot of right. um, uh, a lot of imagery of people, um, Zoroastrians. You get the the face veil, the cloth. Yeah. And I don't, not always, but I, uh, a lot of that has to do with the idea of catching your breath and not allowing your breath to go out into the world and tarnish the air that is out there already. Right. Okay. And that has to do, again, there's that idea of the, the ecological side of Zoroastrianism where you do not contaminate the outside world. Mm-hmm. It's taken a little bit literally and not taking into account real world ecologies, but like right. that's the general idea. Okay. And I think you also had Zoroastrians that would not walk, they would limit their steps. Interesting. So like that's a, um, Zoroastrianism then like kind of shot off and like influenced a lot of the other major religions um but you see some i think some buddhists do that where you limit your footsteps to not affect the natural world so this is kind of the first case of that but you do it because of the elements not because you're disturbing other forms of life um so the face veils of the priest prevent your air from contaminating the fire and then you use a pair of silver tongs you place the offering in the the priest places the offering in the fire and then a special ladle to get the holy ash and put it on the layperson and then you take the ash and you dab it on your own forehead and eyes and take some home for your home ceremonies so you get the sacred ash from the church by bringing this the special appropriate wood um, scented woods and things a Zoroastrian priest does not preach or hold sermons, just tends the fire in the fire temple, which is interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I know there are, it's a, it's an extreme minority, but there are uh, some practicing Zoroastrians in Iran mm-hmm. in the present day. Yeah, there's, there are still yeah, many. Yeah, and, and, and probably many in, in, in Azerbaijan, well, like comparatively to other places. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing in a documentary that there is a uh, temple, uh, a Zoroastrian temple, um, and it's it's coming back to me after you uh, talked about all this that there's mm-hmm. a fire um, in a Zoroastrian temple in Iran somewhere that um, uh, uh, apparently has been has has not gone out for uh, something like a thousand years. It's been it's been it's 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 been there the whole time. And there are the priests in this particular temple. I think it's it's um, it's mostly um, it's women in this temple that are like tending this fire. And it's even when people aren't coming to. Uh, participating in the ceremonies the yes. fire is still tended to nevertheless yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's the important part yeah the fire is the important part i had um maybe i'll include it we'll include it in the next episode i had the actual number of like existing fire temples in the world and where they are but i can't find it right now but it's interesting because they're still there people still yeah. do this or astrians are now uh definitely a minority but are still extant today so I'm sorry, I probably messed up a lot about your religion. (laughs) 
but um, I, it's fascinating. And uh, if you if you know more and you're listening, uh, get in contact with me or or Wes. I'm I'm going to create a an email account for us so people can talk to us, um, so we can have more uh, errors and corrections yes. segments. Because yeah, <laughs> I I really I enjoy those. Those are fun. Uh, we only got to do one. Maybe I don't, I don't think we even did two, but the one we did was good stuff. It was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there, do we have any, is there, do we have to, do we want to cover anything else? <laughs> do we have to, do we have to do anything more? <laughs> what do you, what do you people want? <laughs> um, so Azer, uh, uh, a true monster mash of things that already were there that they got lazy with the dwarf yeah, and gems and stuff and some interesting things that they took from the real, the real world. And created this guy who you kind of have to work a little bit to put in your game, but uh, has a lot of things not expressed in the text that you can you can use what's in the text to create um, something a bit more interesting as usual. But overall, I give them a B minus. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. We haven't done this before, but I'm giving it a <laughs> giving it a grade. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, there's room for improvement. <laughs> Adequate, but not trying hard enough. Okay, I guess that's okay, all for yeah. that's it. That's all for the A's. Join us next week for the B's. Starting with the Banshee, the Irish Ghost Lady. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, do all the things that you do with podcasts that you like. Subscribe, write reviews, so we get to uh, more. So give it to more people. So you're not alone listening to us. You don't want to be alone. Um, when you, next time you're in a long car trip with somebody, uh, and and uh, they they subject <laughs> you to a podcast, to, uh, turn back around and, and throw this one on. Yeah, yeah. And then near the end of it, if it's this episode, then this part can be included. this part will be kind of awkward and, for them. Yeah, and you can make, know. Yeah, but you'll know it's coming, so you can come up with some some kind of meta joke around it. Or just look at them. Make sure to look <laughs> at someone as they listen, or in, insist that someone listen while you yeah. watch them listen to it. Yeah, listener, if you've been confused by the sustained eye contact right around the end of this podcast, this is why. Tell them we sent you.